I'm Kaylin. And I'm Logan. And this is Bones, a true crime podcast. The case we have for you this week is Renee Marie Williams. If you want to see pictures related to this week's case, you can follow us on Instagram at Bones, a true crime pod, or find us on Facebook on the page Bones, a true crime podcast. If you have any questions or case suggestions, you can also email us at Bones, a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Subscribing to our episode and leaving positive reviews are one of the best ways you can help support our podcast. It doesn't cost you anything and it massively helps us. We appreciate you all. Now let's dive in. Renee Marie Williams, sometimes called Ray for short, was born February 1st, 1970. She was a bartender at the Eagles Lodge in Ava, Missouri, where she worked nights. Her long-term boyfriend, who she was planning to marry in 2007, Tim, worked day shift. Their schedules were opposite so that one of them could always be home to take care of their three children. They had a daughter, the youngest of the three, Shahela, and two boys, Levi and Cody. Renee and Tim were raising their family in Mansfield, Missouri. Renee was just 37 years old when she disappeared. Renee was 5'3", weighing 130 pounds, with blonde hair and blue eyes. The night of Renee's disappearance, she was wearing a blue hoodie, jeans, sneakers, and three gold rings. She carried a brown purse and had a cell phone. Renee had her ears and tongue pierced. She also had a few tattoos. She had the letters KSA on the fingers of her left hand, a unicorn head on her right ankle, and two feathers on her right arm. Renee went missing just 15 miles from Mansfield at the Eagles Lodge on Highway 14 west of Ava. She had been working that night until her shift ended at 1.30 a.m. That is when she called Tim to let him know that she would be closing and heading home. He knew it would take another 30 minutes to close things down and lock up, so he went back to sleep. The next morning, Tim woke up to find that Renee wasn't in the house. Her car wasn't in the drive. She wasn't answering her phone. He immediately knew something wasn't right. He didn't know what happened, but he knew that she should have been home by now. Was she having car trouble? Was she in an accident? We lived in a small town. Murder was not your first thought. Shahela remembers wandering through the house and calling for her mother. Like I mentioned earlier, the Brooke family had a routine, and they expected their mom to be home in the mornings when their dad needed to leave for work. Renee's children weren't used to her being gone when they woke up. We interviewed Tiffany Watterson Gray, a family friend of the Brooke family who had been teaching in Mansfield since 2002. Her brother was best friends with Tim Brooke growing up, so he and Renee would occasionally visit the Watterson farm to catch up. Tiff had an interesting point of view that I wanted to share. Logan, do you care to read this quote from her? Yeah, sure. Tiff said, the first I heard of Renee's disappearance was the morning of March 15th. If I remember right, my sister called me at school to tell me. Timmy was getting nowhere, getting any help because she was just a girl who worked at a bar. My sister ended up calling some news outlets to get some exposure to the story. None of them had heard anything about it. We had a half a day of school that day because our high school boys were playing in the basketball state semifinals in Columbia. As we were leaving town, mom called the Troop G headquarters in Willow Springs to see if she could find out anything. I remember pulling over on the side of the road just a few miles out of Mansfield so mom wouldn't lose connection as she talked to Marty Elmore of the Missouri State Highway Patrol. 
It was a sticky situation because the Missouri State Highway Patrol couldn't get involved unless the Douglas County Sheriff's Office asked for help. He said he would call and inquire, but they didn't have jurisdiction until they were asked into the investigation. Despite pleas, inquiries from other agencies, and some media exposure, the Douglas County Sheriff's Department didn't seem to be taking the situation seriously. Sometime during the week, Renee's sister came in. She started putting pressure on the sheriff to take more action, and several days after Renee's disappearance, he put together a plan for a search. That Sunday, dozens of people gathered at the Eagles Lodge to search for Renee. The sheriff laid out a giant map on the hood of a truck and told us what to do. There were search dogs with handlers along with lines of people, family, friends, and people who didn't even know her that moved out in each direction. We were to conduct a grid search where we walked close together in straight lines so no ground was left uncovered. I remembered the dogs hitting on some containers in an old barn not too far from the Eagles Lodge, but to my knowledge, nothing new was found that day. So I want to go ahead and clarify. Um, the sheriff that Tiff is talking about is the one that was in office at the time, but the one that we're going to be talking about later in our podcast and the one that we interviewed um, he's the one that's in office now and the one that kind of did a lot of the things with the case that we'll get into later. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but it's different people. I just didn't want to include the name of the officer that Tiff is referring to because I didn't want to like have anything negative about him. But there were some people that weren't really happy with um, how he conducted the investigation. Okay, that's good to know. And didn't the current sheriff, didn't he kind of make that his, you know, slogan to be hired? Like he wanted to solve this case, like it was his top priority. Yeah, he kind of ran on that. Um, I'll kind of get into that more later. But right now I'm going to tell you kind of more about Renee. So she didn't like closing by herself at night. She felt like someone else should be there to walk her out. The bar is just a big metal building and there aren't any windows, so there's no way that no one would know what was going on inside or what was outside waiting for you. Cell phone service isn't great either. Every night she closed, she would walk into the unknown with a tip jar and her cell phone. The Eagles Lodge is a weird location. It's isolated and outside of town, so there isn't much traffic. There is a single light pole outside that Renee parked by. The dirt road the bar is located on actually has several farms on it, so houses are very spaced out, too. My husband's grandpa owns the farm on the opposite side of the dirt road, so we go there often to ride the four-wheeler or look for mushrooms. We drive by the Eagles Lodge multiple times a week. It's really eerie to think about what happened there, and it doesn't look very scary, but I can imagine how terrifying it must have seemed that night, and I don't think it's really easy to describe, like, the Eagles Lodge to people who are ex like who they have their own image of what a bar is like but this is yeah. really like just a big like it's like a pole barn it is yeah like you said there's no windows um there's like not an actual parking lot it's just like a gravel drive it's off of a dirt road kind of close to the highway um yeah one light pole so not very lit up and I mean it's if you've ever been to Ava or around Mansfield, you know, like you can get five minutes out of town and you're like in the boonies. Like there's not much around. I can see why she did not like closing alone or walking out alone. Like I'm not one to be scared of the dark, but I wouldn't even like something like that. 
I am scared of the dark, so I I completely understand. <laughs> um, so after a few hours of Tim not being able to contact Renee, he decided to head to the Eagles Lodge just to see what was going on. He didn't really know what to expect or what he would find, but the first thing he noticed upon arriving was that her car was still there. It was locked, but the building was locked too. So he just looked around for a little bit. He found a few drops of blood near her car. Tim immediately called the police. Police noticed the drops of blood went from the door of the lodge to Renee's car, where they seemed to stop. They took samples to be sent off to the lab and determined whose blood it was. There weren't any obvious signs of a struggle, but authorities knew that something wasn't right. Their first theory was that this was a robbery gone wrong. This theory would, would go as fast as it came, though. When they quickly checked the safe, they saw that Renee had successfully made her drop that night and all of the money was accounted for. Their next step was to work backwards, talking to everybody who had been at the bar that night. They wanted to know if anyone had noticed anything or if there was anyone they should specifically be looking into. While they were investigating any potential suspects, the result of the blood work came back. The blood found on the sidewalk did not belong to Renee, but of an unknown male. While this does end up having a lot of significance, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the blood had to come from the suspect and Renee's disappearance. This is a country bar, like we mentioned. I'm sure it has seen its fair share of bloodshed outside. Authorities were looking for any motive of the disappearance of Renee, potential drug or money problems, and of course, the significant other. We all know the saying, the husband did it. And I know that me and Logan are both so guilty of assuming the husband in every case, but that just wasn't true for Renee. Tim was active in the search for Renee. He didn't waste any time getting law enforcement involved, and he was quickly cleared with phone records. Renee's friends and family also knew right away that something was not right when they found out she was missing. She would never willingly leave her children. Renee's sister was so confident in that, she actually flew from her home in Washington to assist in the search for her sister and to help with her nieces and nephews. Shauna, Renee's sister, along with the 150 others that joined the search party that was hosted by friends, wanted nothing more than to bring Renee home. They wanted to bring any little bit of closure they could to her babies. They were not able to do that, though. Four days into her disappearance, cadaver dogs were brought in. They started at the Eagle's Lodge and tracked Renee's scent a mile and a half down the road to an abandoned barn. The scent stopped and the barn was empty. There were no signs of Renee. Her sister Shauna was told by a woman who brought the dogs that her sister's body was in that barn at some point in time. Shauna would have to fly home, knowing no more information than she came with. She had to return to her own family and responsibilities, but she never imagined she would come back and she would still be clueless on the whereabouts of her sister. That had to be so gut-riching, like hoping and like praying you would come down here and find her, whether it be, you know, dead or alive, and then having to go home and resume life not knowing like where your sister is, how her children are fe are feeling, what law enforcement is doing to try to find her. Like, I can't even imagine that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, we always talk about like closure and giving the family closure. And I know that that doesn't really like make them not hurt or not want to know what happened to her or miss her or anything. But knowing at least they can try to go on and cope with life instead of just kind of being stuck like yeah in a almost like in a loop of just like going through with normal life but knowing she's out there somewhere yeah and not like like I said not knowing like not knowing if she's suffering 
not knowing if she is alive is is she dead like who's gonna end up finding her like that's just that's really hard I guess in this case just because we're so close to it since we went to school with her son but like you just never really stop and think that's how every case like this is every you know true crime podcast we listen to like I just never have really sat back and thought about the families I guess like what they go through and it just it never ends no matter how the case ends up I definitely agree I do want to go ahead and debunk the theory though that Renee's body had definitely been in that barn Sheriff Krista Gase gave us a little more insight on what could have happened here so like I previously mentioned there were people involved in the search for Renee and the crime scene had been incredibly contaminated by people searching for her The scent article the dog used could have been contaminated. So while they did hit on a scent in the barn, it could have been tracking the scent of someone that was involved in the search. Um, It kind of seems like that's kind of what Chris maybe thinks could have happened. And again, he's the sheriff currently in office and the one that had the most to do in this investigation. Okay. Yeah. So I would definitely trust his theory then. I also remember the week of Renee's disappearance very clearly. Um, So I didn't know anything until the day of the field trip. We had a really small class, like less than 50 kids in all of our classes. And we were taking a field trip to Incredible Pizza, which was if like you got enough um, AR points. So if you got 100 AR points at the end of the year, you got to go, I think. And I remember we all were giving Levi hugs and told him that it would be okay, but we didn't really understand what was going on. Um, I, I didn't anyways. I don't know if anyone else did. I know some of the kids' parents told them ahead of time what was going on. And I pretty much just found out on the school bus when everyone else was freaking out. Um, I think my parents kind of took the approach more of sheltering me from it. So I was just kind of out of the loop. But as a parent now, I'm sure that every family struggled with what to tell or withhold from their children just to kind of protect their innocence. Um, One downfall to a small town, though, is that a lot of people talk. So I remember hearing a lot of rumors going around. And looking back, if I had understood the severity of it, I think I would have been distraught with him. I was just really close to my mom. And I remember like when everyone was talking about how it was his mom that went missing, I just really wanted to give my mom a hug. And that was a field trip that she hadn't went on. So I had my grandma and my aunt and uncle there with me. Um, And I just remember like, that normally would have been so cool and fun but instead I was just kind of still wanting my mom do you like do you have any memories from that time or just any maybe not even that day or the week but around then so I know we talked about this before and when you had mentioned like yeah we were on a school field trip and I remember like us consoling Levi and everything I was like really because I don't remember that at all like I vaguely, when you brought it up, remembered the school field trip, and I remember seeing Levi, but I don't even remember, like, where it was, if it was at the field trip, it was on the bus, like, you know, later at school, like, that week. I just remember seeing him and him being really sad. Um, the, the biggest thing that I can remember, I know you had mentioned, like, your mom was trying to shield you from it. My mom has always been, like, super like into true crime and like advocate for true crime and all of that sort of thing. So like, I just remember my mom saying, you know, I hope that they find her. I hope that they can give closure to the kids. Like I can't imagine being in that situation. 
you know, and like you said, we hear the rumors and it's always, you know, oh, the husband did it. And I remember my mom saying, you know, everyone's saying the husband did it, but I just, I don't think that's true. I don't think he could do that. He is really like, you know, advocating that they do more to find her. Like, I just, I don't think that that theory is true. So that's one of the, like, that's one of the theories I remember at school. Like, I remember in third grades, we were like so little. Now that I'm an adult, I realize how little you think you're so big, but you're just babies. And I remember people talking about like how it had to have been his dad. And people were saying like, my mom and dad said his dad did it and like crazy things. And now I'm like, how hurtful and sad that they were saying that because I mean, he was going through losing. I mean, she was going to be his wife that year. They were going to finally get married and they already like they had been living together and had kids together. Like they had a life together and going from like having your whole life torn apart to people trying to accuse you of doing something to this person that you love so much. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's awful. I, I can't either. I was, I was just glad that my mom, you know, debunked that theory, I guess, to me, because I wasn't, you know, one of the kids at school that was going around saying, oh, well, the dad did it, or my mom and dad said this, like, I kind of knew, like, no, that's, you know, that's not the case. That's not, that's not what we think anyways. But Mm -hmm. so I know, like, the police received numerous tips about the disappearance, but one specifically that came in was a customer at the bar. They suggested that the police look at an ENT employed by a neighboring ambulance district, Christopher E. Revac. He was an emergency responder employed in Taney County. He was a patron of the Eagles Lodge, but only came in a few times a year. It's believed he did not know Renee. His wife was actually a dispatcher for the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. They were not leaving any stone left unturned, though. The chief of police made a trip to Revac's home to ask him about Renee. He immediately noticed that Revac had a smashed finger. He admitted to being at the bar the night that Renee disappeared and said that that was actually where he hurt his finger. He had smashed it in his truck door when he left that night. With the help of the sheriff, a search warrant was issued for the Revac household and property. There were numerous clothing items found that had appeared to have blood stains on them. One pair was confirmed to have Chris and Renee's blood. The other pair had primarily Renee's. However, they would not be able to prosecute him without a body. They just didn't feel like there was enough evidence. This kind of blows my mind. And I know it will yours too. I, I, so obviously we know this case and we're familiar with it, but like just hearing you, you know, doing all the research, hearing you like, tell tell me this again. I'm just like, I can't believe this. I couldn't believe it back then. And I can't believe it now. Like, how can you not do something? Like, even if you don't find your body, can you not charge like, a kidnapping account, like anything. So we, I I know we hear a lot of cases too now where they prosecute without the body. Just about a year and a half after Renee disappeared, Sheriff Chris DeGase was elected into office. Like we mentioned earlier, he ran his campaign on the fact that he would solve this case. He was determined to find a way to prosecute Christopher Revac. Something that surprised Sheriff DeGase was during his campaign, he met Christopher Revac's wife. I didn't mention her name in this just so that there wasn't any um, like unwanted attention. I don't know enough people are even going to hear this to bother her, but just in case. Right. Um, so, so Christopher Revac's wife wanted Chris DeGase to win the election. 
And she knew that that was what he was running his campaign on. If she was willingly involved in the disappearance of Renee Williams, you wouldn't think she would be rooting for Chris to win. It wasn't long after the encounter with Chris DeGase that he would take office as sheriff of Douglas County. Sheriff DeGase immediately began working to fulfill his campaign goals and solve the disappearance of Renee Williams. He began looking through the files again, and when he found a report of a previous altercation between Chris Revac and another bartender that worked at the Eagles Lodge, he was excited. Thankfully for this woman, a bystander witnessed the altercation and stopped it, but Officer DeGase quickly noticed a pattern starting, and he knew there had to be more victims. After endless hours of searching, and with help of records from the Revac's employer, Officer DeGase made the connection to the Deidre Harms case. Revac had taken a vacation to go back to Wisconsin Rapids for a graduation. Not only was DeGase able to place Chris Revac at the Wisconsin Rapids at the time of Deidre Harms' disappearance, there was a sketch he was able to look at that sealed the deal. The flyer looked incredibly like Christopher Revac. During our interview with Sheriff DeGase, I asked him about Christopher Revac's family. They had seen the flyers, and they knew that he was going to go to the bars that same night that Deidre had disappeared from the bar. He had been acting suspiciously, too. Chris DeGay summed it up pretty simply. They were enablers. Christopher Revac came home from the bar that morning and immediately started changing his appearance. He shaved his head. He made everyone put their clothes on from the day before and retake graduation pictures with his new appearance. He knew he had been seen. He was intentionally changing the way he looked so he could not be identified. Okay, I'm sorry, but like, I like love my kids and I love my family, but if they asked me to do something like that, even before, like I knew that a woman in town, a woman at the bar he went to is missing. I would be questioning that. Like, why do we need to do this? Like we took these pictures yesterday. Why did you shave your head? Why do you want to take the same pictures? Like, is and that then, not like, odd? F- yes. And like a flyer going out a few days later. I, that's what I like exactly what I told um Sheriff DeGase. I was like, I love my family so much, but also like she had a family. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about her um later through this. And she had a little baby girl that she left Aww. without a mom. And that just like breaks my heart. Sheriff DeGase wasn't gonna stop working Renee's case after making the connection to the other potential victims. He still wanted to find her. So he decided to contact Revac's wife. They already kind of knew each other because of their jobs and their brief interaction before he was elected. We mentioned earlier that she was a 911 dispatcher for Douglas County, so they obviously worked alongside each other. Krista Gase was up front with her. He told her that he knew her husband murdered Renee, and he wanted to give closure to their family. She spilled the beans. She told Sheriff DeGase of Christopher Revac coming home from the bar that night around 4 a.m. He was telling her that there had been an accident. He approached Renee for sex, and when she turned him down, he became angry. He claimed to have put her in a chokehold to calm her down, but she suddenly quit breathing. Her body went limp, and she was dead. Chris Revac made his wife help dispose of the body and threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone. She knew that Renee was buried somewhere behind the house. He had just taken a shovel into the woods to bury Renee, and her body has still not been found 16 years later. DeGase had Revac's work schedule and felt like Christopher Revac's wife would begin cooperating with him. He had made that initial call to her when he knew that Revac wasn't supposed to be home. Unfortunately, DeGase could tell by her voice that something was off. 
DeGase told her that he needed to speak with her. This threw red flags up to Christopher Reback. He got nervous. He left the house and told her that he was going to get rid of the body for good. It's believed he removed the remains, crushed them up, and scattered them. If that's true, there's no way her remains will ever be discovered. DeGase believes if her body had been there when they searched it, it would have been found. Renee was originally classified as an endangered missing person, but now is believed to be a homicide and solved. Renee's body was suspected to be somewhere on an 80-acre farm that is heavily overgrown. The property was searched with a backhoe, canine teams, and countless law enforcement agents. Sheriff Chris DeGay spent 14 days straight looking for the remains of Renee Williams. He was there from sunup to sundown. While he wasn't able to find her remains during the search, he still felt like with the witness willing to testify and the DNA evidence, there was enough to convict Christopher Reback. They even found coins from Renee's tip jar buried along the house in the French drains. His memorabilia from the night that he had taken a life of Renee Williams. Revac was arrested on July of 2009 and charged with second-degree murder in the Williams case. Revac was 36 years old at the time of his arrest, but he showed no emotions. Krista Gase had Revac on suicide watch, but between the five-minute rotations, Christopher Revac cowardly took his own life in his jail cell before he could be convicted. He died on July 26th of 2009, the day after he was charged for Renee's murder. That is like such a gut punch to know that you finally caught this guy, like you have enough evidence to take him to trial. Like maybe that gives the family some closure knowing who did this to her and that he's put away for life and then he just ends it for everyone. That had to be the worst, like not only for the family, but even just for like Krista Gaze that spent so much time and he ran his whole campaign on that um, to not be able to bring that closure to the family. I also remember Tiff saying that um, she had been there when they were doing the press conference for it and they were expecting like they were going to say, hey, like we've got him, he's arrested. And instead it was he hung himself. And now he can never be convicted. Um, so a little more about Chris Reback, though. So Christopher Reback moved to Missouri in 2000. He was a volunteer firefighter in Stratford from 2001 to 2003. And then he was employed as an EMT for the Taney County Ambulance District for the next six years. This was his current employer at the time of his arrest. Jeff Hawkins, the ambulance director, was extremely shocked at these allegations. He stated that Revac was a good worker. He never caused any trouble. This is one of the scariest statements to me. How did he act so normal? Authorities at the time believed he was linked to three other missing person cases in two different states, murders dating back to 14 years before his arrest. These other two murders were basically um, that they thought were connected. They pretty much assured Krista Gase that they knew who did it. They just couldn't convict them. So they don't think that those are involved anymore, but they do still believe that he is guilty of Deidre Harm's murder. Deidre Harm was born on November 16th in 1984. Her father was Scott Harm and her mother, Gail Gosh. Gail was seen in the investigation discovery episode talking about her daughter. You could see the pain that she still feels when talking about her daughter. Her father wasn't on the episode, and I assume that was for the same reason that he declined to speak to WSAW-TV reporters. He told them that it was too painful in 2011. 
I can imagine the pain never goes away. Deidre was 20 years old when she fell pregnant with her baby girl and gave birth to her just after turning 21. She was a dedicated mother. Her entire life revolved around taking care of her daughter full time. She really had her whole life ahead of her and she had just gotten a new apartment. She was taking care of her new baby and working to give them a good life. When her baby was just four and a half months old, her mother would drop her off at a babysitter and never return to pick her up. In the ID episode that aired, they reported that her daughter was six months. However, several articles I found stated she was only four months old. The memorial page on Facebook ran by her friends cleared up this false information stating that her baby girl was only four and a half months old. That is so hard. Like, so my baby is eight months old right now, and I just can't imagine like not being with her. And I can't imagine like, I know people say like, oh, they're so young, like they don't know, they don't, they don't remember, but no, they already have such a connection to you. Like you were their person, like, yes, like they might not know when they're older, but like they know then, like they don't have their mom around. Yeah, I can't imagine what it was like in being her family and like knowing how much she loved her little girl. And you just have to relay that to them. Like you don't get to really, you can't show them or prove like how much their mom loved them. You just have to hope that you're giving them like enough information to let them feel secure in that. So that's just really sad to me. On June 10th, 2006, Deidre was out dancing with friends at some local bars when she would tragically disappear. She was spotted at several bars in Wisconsin Rapids, one of which was the same bar that Officer Scott Brim of Wisconsin Rapids Police Department was having drinks with a few co-workers after work. Two of the bars she had reportedly been seen at were the finish line and the body shop. The friend she was with, Liam, decided to head home. But Deidre wanted to take full advantage of her night with the babysitter, and she decided to stay. She was not seen leaving alone, though. With eyewitness reports, they were able to put together a sketch of the man she was seen leaving with. But nobody knew him. Comparing the sketch to the photos of Christopher, I can definitely tell it looks like him. We're sharing the sketch and a photo of him on our socials, so you can tell us what you think. I still think it's a little weird his family lived there and didn't notice the sketch looked like him. Maybe they did call in a tip that we aren't aware of, but from what I've read in the interviews that we have watched, Wisconsin Rapids feels like a smaller town. I agree with Sheriff DeGase that it doesn't seem possible they couldn't have known. They just chose to overlook it. Wisconsin Rapids population has over 18,000 people, so that doesn't sound small to me, but it gives the same vibe. For reference, the town Renee went missing in in Ava has just under 3,000 people as of 2021, according to the World Census Review. The town we grew up in Mansfield is about half the size of Ava. So our version of a small town is not what Wisconsin Rapids is, but every no, like all of the not a small town. No. All of the interviews though, like they kind of acted like it was a small town. Um and they felt pretty pretty safe, to say the least. So authorities' efforts to find Deidre were all of us, but they did try their best. Officers walked through bars, friends, and family members searched the river. They were scared to find her body floating, but they were also scared not to find her at all. She would not willingly be away from her baby girl. Detectives questioned everyone in her life, her friends, her family, her boyfriend. They were all potential suspects, but they were all ruled out with solid alibis. Liam was one of the witnesses that noticed the man she was talking to when she when he left. Her boyfriend's boss was able to confirm that he was out of the state at the time. 
Three months after the disappearance of Deidre, her mother received a letter in the mail. She knew right away that something was off, so she handled it carefully in case it was evidence. There was childlike handwriting that wrote, I'm sorry about Deidre. I didn't mean to. No fingerprints were found on the letter. So that's just also crazy to me. Like he potentially, you know, if he is the one that killed Deidre, which I strongly think that he is, he sent a letter basically confessing, but nothing like that ever happened in Renee's case other than, you know, him confessing to his wife. He didn't notify the family, you know, secretly like he did Deidre's. I just think that is also crazy. Like, I think possibly Deidre was his first victim. And when he killed Renee, maybe he realized, like, I enjoy this. I don't feel sympathy for it anymore. And that's like serial killer vibes. Like, I'm honestly, like, I'm not glad that he was obviously never convicted, but I'm glad that he's, you know, dead now because that could be potentially scary for our area. Like we were young, like think of like all the other people, all the other women in town, even surrounding towns that he could have targeted. Well, and there weren't fingerprints found. So, I mean, it could have been someone else. Like maybe he wasn't sorry, or maybe he was. And like you said, it was just his first victim. Several months after though, five months after Deidre had disappeared and just a couple of months after the letter had arrived, on November 11th, 2006, in Blueberry Ridge, some local hunters came across what they believed to be human remains, only six miles west of her hometown. Deidre was located just west of Wisconsin Rapids in Solid Woods, a very secluded area. It is also called Township of Seneca. Due to the level of decomposition, the cause of death was listed undetermined, but police believe the location of her body and the circumstances of her disappearance were enough to begin looking for a killer in her investigation. There was trauma to the skull and the torso. Deidre's skull was found in a marshy area, while her upper torso was in a wooded area a quarter of a mile away. Investigators also recovered two rings that were confirmed to be Deidre's. Her body was identified using dental records. However, that is where things stopped. Sheriff DeGase helped Wisconsin Rapid authorities to find who they believe is the killer, but there's no way to confirm it. There's no way to question, charge, or convict Christopher Reback, but most people do consider this case solved. While my heart breaks for every family that experiences such a horrific event, the case of Renee Williams will always be the case that introduced us to true crime, and I'm always going to pray for a day that her remains can be laid to rest for the sake of her family. Renee would be 53 today. Her kids are grown. She would be a grandma. Her case is considered solved, as authorities are confident they found the killer. But if you have any information regarding the location of Renee Williams' remains, you can contact Sheriff Krista Gase at 417-683-1020. The Deidre Harms case is still considered open, though they believe Christopher Revac was guilty. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Deidre Harm, you can contact the Wisconsin Rapids at 715-423-4444. I want to read one more quote from Tiff because it reminds us of the evil everywhere in the world. Logan, do you care to read this for me? Sure. Tiff said, Renee's disappearance angered me because of the way it was handled by the sheriff. It broke my heart because of what my childhood friend and his family were going through. It sickened me to think of Ray being the prey of a deranged predator. 
It also dredged up a lot of memories for me because I had been through a similar experience before when a friend of mine who I worked with at MFA Incorporated in Columbia, Missouri, disappeared in June of 1999. I had been through that before and I feared the result would be the same, that her body would never be found and that her family would never get any closure. I lost my cousin 30 years ago on May 11th, 1993, when she was killed by a drunk driver. Life is fragile. Don't take moments and people for granted. Don't let opportunities to tell someone you love them pass you by. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening to our first episode. Sources can be found in the show notes. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials to see pictures related to this episode, as well as information regarding future episodes. Find us on Facebook at Bones, a true crime podcast. On Instagram at Bones, a true crime pod. And email us with any inquiries or case suggestions at Bones, a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Subscribing and leaving reviews on whatever platform you're listening would be greatly appreciated and help our show reach more listeners. See you next week.